Two friends dream of one day owning a piece of land, self-sustained and simple. This aspiration quickly comes to an end when tragedy occurs. The Book of Mice and Men, the author, John Steinbeck. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit. lit. Hi, readers. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Indeed. Today, we're going to start with Society Says. This is where we share your comments with the rest of our Lit Society. So, Kari, do you have a comment that you want to share that's lit? Yeah, I'm pulling this one from um, Spotify because the girls can comment over there. Um, This, I believe, is under our Lessons in Chemistry episode, and it comes from Faseo Adetunji. Um, She says, nice discussion. I wasn't so keen on this story either Mm -hmm. and had trouble connecting to the characters. Thank you so much for leaving (laughs) that comment. Um, This is a story that people love. It is now a mini series, as many people know, and we just couldn't get into it. So, yeah, that's that on that. Alexis, is there a comment that you found somewhere that you thought particularly lit this week? Yeah, yeah. My comment comes from YouTube and this is from Octavia Denise. And Octavia says, I found y'all's podcast and I am having a lit society marathon. (laughs) It's so refreshing to see black women who love books as much as I do. Y'all are the best. I love that. Me too. Thank you, Octavia, Denise. We appreciate your comments. Remember, readers, if you um, have comments you want to share, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Facebook, you know, all the places, YouTube, um, and we will share your comments. Okay, so Kari, what can you share with us about this week's author and maybe some context for the book? Sure. So um, John Steinbeck was born in 1902 in Salinas, California. Mm. He's first or second generation. Uh, Steinbeck is a derivative of a German name. He attended Stanford, but left without a degree. He lived in a small rural valley valley and spent summers working on ranches. You will see Mm. a lot of... um, Uh, migrant worker and ranch worker um, characters within his stories. He takes this little part of time in America and condenses it into a narrative. So he later labored with migrant workers. That's where he got a lot of fodder for his uh, novels and novellas. Um, And in this work with the migrants, he saw the darker side of human nature. He later traveled to New York City, adopted odd jobs in an an attempt to become a legitimate writer. After a string of failures, which is normal, he returned to California, got married. Um, He'd later be married like three times in his life. He was never solidly on his feet financially during this first marriage. Um, But these days he did have his family to fall back on like his dad I believe was a treasurer his mom mom was once a school teacher uh, they were doing fine and then they had extended family and he'd sometimes live in their homes or their properties um he would also sometimes steal food <laughs> him oh. And his wife. oh okay mm-hmm. oh hmm. yeah of mice and men the book that we're covering today was written to be a playable novella or novel this means it can also be acted out it was written for both the theater and um, book consumption or as literature I could see that i can mm-hmm. totally see that for sure there's a lot of he said she says not a lot of staging um, in the story. But yeah, you can definitely see it acted out. It was critically acclaimed and Steinbeck's 1962 Nobel Prize citation called it a little masterpiece. Its stage production was a hit, but Steinbeck refused to travel from his home in California to attend the show, telling the director, <laughs> in my mind, it's perfect. And I don't want to mess up what's in my mind. 
So there's that on that. He does have other notable works. Of Mice and Men was not his first work, but it was created in 1937. He went on to write, uh, can you think of something else that uh, he's probably even more famous for? Uh, Did he do Grapes of Wrath? You got it. In 1939, just two years after Of Mice and Men was published, he uh, published The Grapes of Wrath. He also did East of Eden in 1952. And in total, he authored like over 33 books in his career. Um, This is great because he had a lot of failures, but he had a lot of success, including a Nobel Prize, a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, Most of Steinbeck's work, as we said, is set in Central California, where he's from. So he wrote what he knew, particularly in the Salinas Valley, which uh, is the case with Of Mice and Men um, and the California Coast Ranges region. He, his works frequently explore the themes of fate and injustice, especially as applied to downtrodden or everyman protagonists. Uh, now, yeah. his Pulitzer was won in 1940, his Nobel Prize in 1962, but his Nobel was very controversial. And even Steinbeck himself said he did not deserve it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He died in 1968 in New York City and he died um, during the flu pandemic of the time, the 1968 flu pandemic. He died of heart disease and congestive heart failure. He was only 66 years old and had been a lifelong smoker. An mm-hmm. autopsy showed nearly complete occlusion of the main coronary arteries. And that is John Steinbeck. Wow. Thank you, Kari, for sharing. Yeah. That. All right. So then why don't we have a um, spoiler free synopsis? So a brief uh, spoiler free synopsis may sound something like this. Two men have formed an unlikely friendship traveling from place to place, working toward one united dream, owning their own ranch, a place in the world where they will belong. This dream becomes their life's purpose, but it is as unreachable as happiness. Alexis, who do you think would enjoy Of Mice and Men? Um, so I... I couldn't really think of anything right off the top, but it's more for lack of trying. But when I think about if I really thought about it, it's really sim- it's a really simplistic book. And that makes me think of books like The Great Gatsby. That's a mm. simple book. So I think that you might like that or any of his other works. That's that's the best I can do. How about okay. you, Kari? Who, um, who, why did you choose this book? And if you have ideas about um would enjoy and share that too. I was thinking of people who write about this um, outdoor living um, in a specific time in America's history. So I was thinking of uh, Problematic King, Jack London, uh, books like that. If you enjoy, because the, the nature is described so, it's so detailed in this book. If that's your vibe, um, then I think you would in, enjoy of Mice and Men. And I chose this book because it is required reading in a lot of schools. And I don't remember ever reading it. I also hear references oh, to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with it. I knew nothing about it. Okay. Oh, no. But you, you said you heard of it. You did. Yeah, just referenced uh, throughout pop culture, uh, sometimes in conversation even. And now that I've read it, I realize uh, some cartoons that I grew up watching referenced it. Uh, Yeah, this book is the IP for a lot of creative works that I have taken in. I just didn't know where it came from. Okay, well, that's that is wonderful. Why don't we take a quick break before we deep dive into Of Mice and Men? All right. Sounds good. And we're back. So, Kari, are you ready to take the deep dive into Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, part one, The Men. Content warning. We're going to talk about some things. We are going to talk about aggression against women. There will be slurs and sadness. Let's continue. Okay. (laughs) Part one, the men. 
So a few miles south of Soledad, the warm Salinas River drops in close to the hillside bank and runs deep and green. This is a beautiful setting, you guys. Um, There are strong mountains, lush green valleys, skittering lizards, birds in the sky, jolly rabbits jumping all (laughs) around. And in this beautiful naturalness, two men are walking. One is named Lenny and the other is George. Can you describe Lenny, Alexis? Uh, Lenny is described as this big honking guy. And that's what I remember. And um, that's what I remember off the top. Sorry. So Alexis is trying not to use any words that will get her canceled. Uh, Lenny is described as touched, as uh, many of our grandparents would say. Simple minded. Okay, he he's childlike in the brain. George is the leader of the two men. He's described as dark in face, but no, no, he is not black. He's just working a lot. So he's in the sun. Um, He's got restless eyes and a sharp, sharp, strong features. Every part of him is defined. So physically, there's a huge difference between these men with Lenny being tall and his hands are described as paws, a lot like Ignatius Riley. Whereas whereas George is a more smaller man, but more sharp in his features, more stern. Um, Now, they are coming from their last job. So with every ranch job that they take, of course, they get boarding on the land. Um, But they had to flee their last job for a reason we're not quite sure of. But we know that Lenny did something bad. That's the big one. George is the little one. Just remember that. Uh, So Lenny did something bad. So both Lenny and George fled. Um, Now they're going to their next job and they really hope this will be great. Um, Lenny is eager to get there. He's hungry. um, And George is like, well, let's stay here and light a fire. I like it here. You know, it's it's just naturally so beautiful. We can grab some peace here. Plus, we're going to be working real hard tomorrow. Yeah. So calm down. And um. He's like, I got some beans in my bag. That's dinner. And Lenny's like, I like ketchup on my beans. And George is like, you always like what we ain't got. So it's a lot of that type of conversation. Um, Lenny is drinking water that might make him sick. And he's like pouring his whole head into it. And George is like, this water ain't running. You shouldn't drink water that's not running. George is looking out for him clearly. But part of him wishes he was alone. And sometimes he goes into these rants when he's particularly frustrated with Lenny. And he's like, if it wasn't for you, I could be somewhere happy living in a cat house surrounded by women and booze until my next job. But I got to take care of you. George catches Lenny with a mouse. Can you explain this mouse, Alexis? So he has his mouse that he's petting and the mouse is dead. Yeah, Lenny's got a mouse in his pocket, real regular. The mouse is dead. The mouse was probably alive when he found it, but he says it wasn't. Um, and he probably petted it to death because he's so big. He's so massive. So and strong. He doesn't know. He's so strong and he doesn't know his own strength. Mm-hmm. George catches Lenny with the mouse and makes him give it to him. And then George throws the mouse. And then Lenny like is like, I'm going to go over here and look at the stars. And then he comes back and George is like, you went to find that mouse. And Lenny's like, oh, what mouse? And George is like, let me see your hand. And then he throws the mouse again and Lenny starts crying. And this is uh, one of the times when George lashes out and he's like, I'm so sick of looking after you. I hate this. Um, But he feels regretful nearly immediately because the truth is both of these men need each other. Men like us are alone, George says. They have no one looking after them, but we're different. Why are they different, Alexis? Because they're together. They know each other. They have history. And that's unusual in the line of work that they do. They have each other. Yeah, you're right. So they have formed a familial bond uh, through their friendship. Now, Lenny asked George as the night sky falls, tell us how it's going to be. And George is like, I'm sick of telling you. You already know. You could tell it. And Lenny's like, no, I like it when you tell it. So I'm just going to read this section. George says, "Okay, someday we're going to get the jack together. We're going to have a little house and a couple of acres and a cow and some pigs and live off the fat of the land. Lenny shouted. 
and have rabbits. Go on, George. Tell about what we're going to have in the garden and about the rabbits and the cages and about the rain and the winter and the stove and how thick the cream is on the milk. Like you can hardly cut it. Tell about that, George. Why don't you tell it? You know, all of it. No, you tell it. It ain't the same if I tell it. Go on, George. How I get to tend the rabbits? (laughs) Well, said George, we'll have a big vegetable patch and a rabbit hutch and chickens. When it rains in the winter, we'll just say, we ain't going to work. We'll build up a fire in the stove and sit around it and listen to the rain coming down on the roof. Nuts. He took out his pocket knife. I ain't got time for no more. So at this point, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could live there, too. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Not forever, but a nice weekend, like a getaway house. (laughs) Getaway house, sponsor us. We love (laughs) y'all. Right, Alexis? We took a getaway house. I loved it. Starved rocks. Just a couple of uh, hours from Chicago. So easy. This is when Alexis was an American. Anyway, let's move on. If anything happens at the new place, George, because remember, they're leaving their last job. So George tells Lenny, if anything happens at this new place, anything bad happens again. George asks Lenny to run to the river and wait for him. Hide and wait. Part two, the mice. This is a short book. This is a day read, right, Alexis? Mm -hmm. Less than a day. Mm -hmm. I believe this is the only reason it is recommended reading in schools. I'm so teachers glad of that, teachers. Good kidding. job. Because the rest of that stuff y'all give is ridiculous. Well, there's some things in here, too, people may not like. And we'll talk about it. OK, so part two, the mice. So uh, we're greeted by a boss, a swamper and a bunch of N-words. Now, <laughs> uh, the guys have made it to their new job. They meet a man called a swamper. I have no idea what that is. I didn't look it up. He works on the ranch. He tells them, what'd you say? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Move on. It ain't even necessary. It's hard. Whatever he do, just know it's hard and miserable. So he starts telling them about what to expect in this new job. He tells them about the characters who they'll be working with. He tells them about the boss. He doesn't tell them about the boss's son. And that's what I would have opened up with. But whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, the boss is great. And let me tell you how great the boss is. Uh, We got an N-word on the property. And I'm going to say N-word because it's really like, I don't know. I'm not consistent with when I say N-word and when I don't. But today I feel like saying N-word. That's because (laughs) it's really harsh here. Yeah. yeah, But you know what? When we read Octavia Butler, I'm like, get him, get that nigger. So, um, (laughs) but today I just feel like saying N-word. Oh, maybe because Octavia Butler. Oh, oh. Yep, I think I know why. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's he's like he make the n word sleep in the shack out back, but uh, we did real good last Christmas. I hope I'm not offending anyone. <laughs> All of my source material for this accent work is from Cletus the Slack Jawed Yokel. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so we did real good last Christmas. He brought the whiskey and brought in the N-word and we all had a good old time. Yeah, because the boss is a good man. Boss good, real good man. Wow. And then just, wow. <laughs> and then George is like, wow, a whole gallon of whiskey. And like, y'all go ball good. Um, and the N-word like to read a lot. He keeps to himself and he read a lot. Okay. So this is the new job, you guys. So the boss comes in. Um, George does the talking. Oh, I forgot to mention. George gave Lenny one job. When we get to the new job, there's one thing you need to do, Lenny. And what is that, Alexis? Don't say nothing. Just let me do the talking. Speak nothing. Because then they'll know that your head is full of nuts and bolts and we can't have that. But if you do work first, they'll know you're a good worker and they won't care how smart you are. So and also there's something to be said here about. George's view of Lenny because he doesn't necessarily think he's dumb. He more, I mean, it's kind of advanced here. He just thinks he's mentally um, differently abled. (laughs) Okay. But he's like, but Lenny acts in a way that shows an intelligence that a lot of men don't have. Okay. So he's not going around calling him dumb, is he? I don't know. Maybe he is. I can't remember. I don't think he is. Yeah. But even if he is, he's only doing it to, um, Describe, Protect him. Yeah, to help him mm-hmm. with other people. 
and it's yeah. So happen. he's like, Lenny, when we get there, let me do all the talking. So now they're meeting the boss, and the boss is looking at big old Lenny and like, boy, where you come from? And then George is like, you know, he came from blah blah blah. And the boss is like, what's going on here? Why are you always speaking for him? He's like, um, George is like, well, Lenny got hit and kicked in the head by a um, Clydesdale stallion, <laughs> Megan <the> stallion, <laughs> yes. and so he think differently. And so the boss is like, okay, well, y'all some interesting characters. I got my eye on you, but all right. Mm-hmm. He's like, why is y'all close? Yeah. Why y'all together? What's y'all relationship? <laughs> What's the answer to that? Yeah. So George says that Lenny is his cousin and he looks after him ever since a horse kicked him in the head. Lenny is not really his cousin, but they're basically play cousins. I mean, I understood this relationship really well and we'll get we'll get into it later. So. There's a guy named Curly. Who's Curly, Alexis? Curly is the boss's son. And he's not a good man. Okay. He is both. Um, he's a small man. He's got a Napoleon complex and he feels both entitlement, anger and cowardly fear at all times in equal measure. And Curly has a new wife that everyone says is not a good woman. That's a woman of the night. He done married. Look at her always looking around, showing herself, showing her face, whole face. She just be looking, staring Mm -hmm. at the men's. And that's bad. So the Swamper says Curly's new wife is a tart, (laughs) giving all the other guys the eye. I don't know why I'm saying it like this. It's just old speak. I love it. So Curly makes George feel uneasy right away. That type of man that has something to prove, uh, that always has a chip on his shoulder, but you can tell is fearful of every other man he meets. That's a dangerous man. And George senses it. He's like a fighter too, right? A trained fighter somewhere in there. Is he? Yeah, that's what they call him. A fighter. Yeah. All right. So uh, George tells Lenny that if Curly ever gives him trouble, sock the guy. Now, usually George is like, Lenny, you know, you're stronger than, you know, just stay in the back. But he once he sees Curly, he like, I don't know if Curly ever look at you funny, you know, just blow real hard in his direction. We'll never see him again. (laughs) So Lenny doesn't understand. He doesn't want to get in trouble again. Um. And he always says if jo- if he gets in trouble again, like he did at the last place, George won't let him tend to the rabbits. And that's his biggest fear that when they move to their own ranch, they're going to own rabbits. And Lenny really wants to be able to tend to the rabbits. And George told him before, if you're bad again, you won't get to tend to the rabbits. And so that's Lenny's uh, biggest fear. And he's like, I don't like this new place. It's too much opportunity for badness. And if I'm bad, I don't get to tend to the rabbits. Let's move on. Curly's new wife comes in and she goes, hello, guys, gentlemen, have you seen my husband? And they like, oh, there goes that Turk. <laughs> no, we ain't seen your husband. You always looking for him. He always looking for you. How come y'all don't never know where each other is? She goes, can I look? Ain't nothing wrong with looking. You seem like you really enjoy this. This role. <laughs> it comes naturally to me. I mean, it come way too natural for you. It really does. Yeah. I mean, this is a colorful book. So, yeah. Uh, George is aggravated and he wants Lenny not to go near the wife. He's like, something about that woman. You watch out. He also calls her some names and says she's jailbait. Ugh. So let's move on. We now meet Slim, the shocker. Now, can you tell us about Slim, Alexis? He's a jerk line skinner. Don't know what that means. So let's talk about his character. So I don't remember the character. Which one? Is this the one that once um, the, the dog a- did? No. That's so I don't remember Carlson. him. Oh, well, you do. He's like a key member. He He's like the authority figure. He is a man oh. that naturally commands respect. Okay. So Slim is a figure um, of like stability on the ranch. He's just one of the manly men that other men instantly respect. And he also talks to people in a way that makes people want to open up to him. He handles himself well. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. he commands the respect of other men through his professional skill and his strength. We learn that his dog has had pups and he drowned half the pups right away out of fear that the mother couldn't feed them. So he's also a harsh man. <laughs> but this is a harsh way of life. This is harsh living. 
So when Slim leaves, Lenny asks George for the pups. He's like, I don't think Slim will mind. Can I have a pup? And George is like, oh my goodness, I'm so sick of you, Lenny. <laughs> and, and Lenny is like, but if I don't take a pup, maybe Slim will kill more of them and I don't want him to kill any more of them. Lenny loves fluffy things he can he can pet if you haven't caught on yet. That's his thing. He has this tactical obsession. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. it's furry, soft, he just loves petting it. Curly comes in looking for his wife because they always looking for each other somehow. And George realizes he hates every ounce of that man down to his guts. Lenny wants to leave this place again. He is sensing trouble. Slim and George. I realize I said Slim the Shocker and a Silk the Shocker. It's okay, it don't matter. <laughs> you did say that. Mm-hmm. So Slim and George began talking after a day's work. Slim's demeanor makes George start confessing to him because does George have anyone to talk to really? No, George. No, he doesn't. I mean, Lenny's there, but it's not the same Mm -mm. level of conversation that he could have with Slim. So Slim's strong um, stoic demeanor is also inviting. And George begins speaking his mind, talking about things he's wanted to say for some time. Things like how he met Lenny. They grew up in the same town. And when Lenny's aunt died, Lenny began traveling with George and they both began working together. That's so simple. But because they know each other, they know where each other comes from. They're nearly like brothers. How he used to tease him and why he stopped. Do you remember why he stopped Mm. teasing Lenny? Oh, because he had him jump off of something and he didn't like the way that felt after it happened. Yeah, all, everyone used to tease Lenny because he's soft in the head. And so George was like, why don't you jump into that water? And because George told him to, Lenny did it and he nearly drowned because he can't swim. And when he got out of the water, uh, George helped him out. And he was so thankful to George. He forgot that George was the one that told him jump in it. And George was like, I don't like this. I'm not going to be teasing you anymore. I'm going to look after you. So he also talks about how um, and he shouldn't have done this, but it slipped out how Lenny keeps getting in trouble. Like he did at their last job. And he asked Slim, you won't tell anybody, will you? I just got to tell someone because Lenny, you know, his heart's in the right place. But he felt this girl's dress and kept holding on as she screamed. And the girl claims rape and a lynch mob was formed and we had to run. Y'all got that? Yep. All right. So an old man named Candy allows his equally old dog into the workers' quarters. Ain't old dogs stink. (laughs) Full stop, period. They do. They do. They got gastrointestinal issues. They seem not to be as clean as they used to be. Old dogs stink. And so Candy comes with his old sheep dog into the workers' quarters and the men hate it because the dog, even when the dog leaves, that smell stays. (laughs) So... Candy has had this dog, though. And remember, Candy's very old. Candy has had this dog since the dog was a puppy. He used to be the best sheep dog he'd ever seen. They kind of grew up together in a way, you know. Mm -hmm. And so Candy is not keen on doing anything but being extra loving to this dog. Okay, Um, a worker named Carlson tries to convince Candy to what, Alexis? Put the dog down. Oh, no, no. Putting a dog down is what you do when you have the vet come over and they inject it with um, things that will take pain away. No, no. it's it's the same thing. He wants to put the dog down himself. That's all it is. It's just having it done yourself. Carlson is like, hey, Candy, why don't you just shoot that dog in the head? You know, Slim had a bunch of puppies. You could take one of them puppies. And Slim's like, yeah, you can have one of my puppies. Uh, Candy is like him and Han around why he doesn't want to. Uh, really, it ain't none of their business, but I get that the dog stinks and they like. But at this point, I'm like, Candy, is it raining? Because maybe you can just sleep outside with your dog. Because <laughs> something bad about to happen. And then yeah. Carlson is like, listen, Candy, you a good man. I'll shoot your dog in the head myself. Mm. And so uh, Carlson tells the old man that Slim for sure will give him one of his new pups as a replacement. It'll be fine. I wish somebody would shoot me if I get old and cripple, Slim says. And Slim's word is law in this place. So Carlson takes out a pistol. Hopelessly, Candy says, 
Uh, all right, take them. He well, won't even feel it, Carlson responds. Also, nobody expected anybody to have a gun, okay? Oh, that, that was right? not expected. Yeah, but if anyone was to have one, well, no, no, not Carlson. They were I like, don't know why Carlson got but a you gun. don't have a gun. Nobody has a gun. He was like, oh, no, I, I got a gun. <laughs> oh. The beginning of this book is kind of like Lost. Y'all remember Lost? Where everything was a surprise. They was like, you got a toothbrush? Where'd you get a toothbrush? You got a gun? How'd you get a gun? So that's this book. So, <laughs> so Candy says, all right, take them. So Carlson takes this old dog outside. He's like, come on, boy. And they walk out. And then the workers' quarters is silent. And all the men are uncomfortable. Because they're not all as tough as they pretend to be. These men are filled with sadness, loneliness, and a part of them understands that by killing this dog, they are killing a part of Candy. Mm -hmm. And while none of them have anyone look out for them, except George and Lindy, this dog has been looking out for Candy. And now these men are going to kill it. So they're all sitting inside saying stupid stuff because they don't want it to be silent. Because what comes after the silence? The putting downness of the dog. It's a shot, right? And really, I think, isn't George the only one speaking because of his? <laughs> he is yeah, the perhaps. one that's most discovered oh. because Candy is in bed and Slim is just Slim. So he's not reacting to that. He knows what's going to happen. George is nonstop talking. He's looking for some conversation to happen so they don't feel the feelings. Alexis has just explained a key part of this book and made me see it in a different way. Yes, it is George who is uncomfortable the most in this moment. And it is him that is saying stupid things to fill the silence. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Slim is like fine with it. Candy staring at the ceiling and the other men are like kind of making small talk, but at George's behest, mm -hmm. you know, he's the one initiating this silly conversation. Um, and then a shot is fired. Candy turns to face the wall. Lenny asked George to tell him again about the place with the rabbits and Candy turns from the wall and listens. Then Candy asks the two men a question. Candy says, you know, where's a place like that? George was on guard immediately. He's like, suppose I do. What's that to you? You don't need to tell me where it's at. Might be any place. Sure, said George. That's right. You could find it in a hundred years. Candy went on excitedly. How much they want for a place like that? George watched him suspiciously. Well, I could get it for 600 bucks. The old people that owns it is flat bust. They're broke, you guys. And an old lady needs an operation. Say, what's it to you? You got nothing to do with us. Then Candy says, I ain't much good on, on with only one hand. I lost my hand right here on this ranch. That's why they gave me a job swamping. And they also gave me $250 because I lost my hand. And then I got 50 more saved up right in the bank right now. That's $300. And I got 50 more coming at the end of the month. Tell you what, he leaned for eagerly. Suppose I went in with you guys. That's 350 bucks I put in. I ain't much good, but I could cook and tend the chickens and hold the garden some. How'd that be? So now George and Lenny, who currently have $10 between the both of them, are like, is this going to be, a, is our dream going to be real? Um, and you Lenny always thought it, it was going to be real. Feel <laughs> it coming, coming now because somebody mm -hmm. got some real money that they could put towards this dream. Yeah, together with the old man, they could have $400 or so. And that might actually be enough to go buy it right now. So they're like, let's wait a, like one more month, I think. Yep. And then we're out of here. We're, we're actually going to live our dream in a month. <laughs> this is really happening. So Candy confesses that uh, they want to do to him what they trusted to his dog. And by they, he means both the old men and kind of the world in a way. Like Candy is now useless He's of no use to anyone. And it feels like the world wants to just shoot him in the head. He wants a place where he can rest, a place that's his own. Candy does. He also says that he should have been the one to shoot his own dog. He never should have allowed a stranger to do that. That was wrong. Uh. The three men make a plan. They buy the land in a month. Don't tell nobody. Curly and Slim walk in. 
Curly is cowering under Slim. Remember, Curly is the boss's son. He's got a lot of bravado, not a lot of intellectual. So Curly is like, where my wife? And they like, I don't know. And then the curl is like, well, Slim, I'm going to go get Slim. I think he was talking to my wife. And everyone's like, okay, bye. That ain't going to end well. And so the man walk in and Curly is cowering under Slim like, so Slim, I was just asking you a question. I don't know why you're so mad at me, Slim. Slim, I'm tired of you asking me. (laughs) Unable to fight Slim, Curly picks a fight with Lenny. He looks around like, well, what you laughing at, big guy? Really, Lenny is thinking about this ranch he's going to be living on in a month. So he's smiling. And Curly's like, you laughing at me? And then things get bad. And really fast. Really fast. Curly begins beating Lenny, who is too frightened to defend himself. Remember, Lenny is like seven feet tall. Oh, t- He weighs a ton. He's strong. But as um, Curly's coming down on him and Curly's short. So as he's coming up on him, Lenny is too scared to fight back. Lenny pleads to George as blood gushes from Lenny's nose. Curly is hitting him everywhere. His face, stomach, knocking the air out of him. Slim steps up to defend Lenny and George goes, but, but, but stop, stop. He stops Slim and he's like, get him, Lenny. And Lenny's like, I don't want to. And then Curly slashes at Lenny's eye until Lenny's entire face is covered in blood. And George yells again, I said, get him. Curly's fist was swinging when Lenny reached for it. The next minute, Curly was flopping like a fish on a line and his closed fist was lost in Lenny's big hand. George ran down the room. Let go of him, Lenny. Let go. But Lenny watched in terror the flopping little man whom he held. Blood ran down Lenny's face. One of his eyes was cut and closed. George slapped him in the face again and again. And still Lenny held on like a pit bull with a bone. Curly was white and shrunken by now and his struggling had become weak. He stood crying, his fist lost in Lenny's paw. George shouted over and over, let go his hand, Lenny, let go. Slim, come help me with the guy. If the guy got any hand left. (laughs) Sorry, it's not funny. Suddenly, Lenny let go. He crouched, cowering against the wall. And he says, you told me to, George, you told me to. And he's miserable. Curly's rushed to the hospital as Lenny falls to the ground whimpering, wondering if they'll get fired. George turns to Slim. Slim has a plan. He takes some water. And before they take Curly to the doctor, he tells Curly, I think your hand got caught in the machine. <laughs> and Curly's Don't like, you? Yeah, I think my hand got caught in the machine. That's right. <laughs> Curly's biggest fear is that everyone will know that he lost his fight to a man like Lenny and then they'll laugh at him because these men cannot be laughed at because (sighs) ego and pride is all they have. It's really sad. Lenny visits um, crooks in the living quarters as all the men go to the doctor with Curly. Crooks is the black man living on the land. Um, And in his quarters and crooks quarters are Slim's pups. So Lenny wants to see the pups. And so he goes into Crook's room and they begin talking and Crook's is like, you got no right to be in here. You need to walk out now. And then Lenny is too um, simple to be intimidated. He's like, I just want to see the puppies. And so Crook's is like, "Uh, no. (laughs) And Lenny is like, but but can I see the puppies? And he's so insistent on seeing the puppies that Crook's lets him in. Crooks' quarters, by the way, is like neat, (laughs) organized. Um, You know, there are books he reads. And so he is um, clearly a man with some sense, but he is the only black man on the land and he is terribly lonely and on his way to madness, it sounds like. Um, Another thing is that his, the puppies aren't, in his actual sleeping quarters, but they're next to it. So, okay. um, um, Lenny just kind of he saw the puppies. He knew he wasn't really supposed to touch them anymore. So he figured he mosey on over and be social with um, crooks. crooks. Ah, okay, okay. 
Crook senses that something is different about Lenny and he starts teasing him like, what if George don't ever come back? What you going to do? This scares Lenny. And Lenny's like, what do you mean? And he gets up and Crooks looks at him and is like, you know what? I'm just kidding. Let's sit down and be reasonable. <laughs> that part was funny to me because he was like, what? <laughs> no, he's coming back. Don't worry. Sit down. Sit down. Yeah. It's okay. I'm just kidding. I was just kidding. It's okay. It's all right. Because <laughs> you are about, you know, eight feet, nine hundred pounds and I don't want no troubles. I got no troubles. I'm a black man in America in California. Uh, so Candy walks in and this is the first time Candy has been in Crooks's room. Crooks is happy to have the company, although he hides it with this superficial anger. Candy starts talking about the ranch all the guys are going to buy. And Cook starts calling them both crazy. He's like, your ranch ain't nothing but heaven. And, you know, you don't know if you're going to ever get there. You probably won't. And so as they start talking around and they talk about how much money they have and this can be a reality, Cooks starts to think and he's like, you know what? I would like to join you guys. I could work the land and just work for my share, work for my room and board, nothing more. Um, And so then Curly's wife walks in and she is doing her favorite thing, looking for her husband. Y'all seen Curly? (laughs) So it's clear that Curly's wife is terribly lonely and on her way to madness, just like Crooks. Um, Crooks tries to get her to leave and she threatens to get him lynched. She said, you tell me to leave and I'll say you tried to do something to me and a whole bunch of men will kill you tonight in the most violent, disgusting, demonic way possible. And uh, under this truth, Crooks cowers. Um, and even Candy tries to stand up for Crooks and is like, you, you can't say that. We, we, we. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> just please. Just please shut up. So after so she you looked, have all the um, what would you the people that nobody wants to be bothered with in the same room? So you have Lenny, who's uh, mentally disabled. You have Candy, who's very old to the point where people think he's useless. And you have Crooks, who is a black man. And then in walks the woman. Mm-hmm. So these are four characters who represent the undesirables mm-hmm. of society. OK. And even within themselves, there is conflict. Mm -hmm. After she leaves, Crooks tells Candy to forget what he said about working their ranch because he wouldn't want to go to no place like that. Crooks is a man who grew up on his own land with his own family. But as white people moved in, black people were pushed out. This is California. And now Crooks is just working someone else's land, always under the threat of death. (laughs) imminent death or uh, shame, humiliation. Okay. And so he's like, I don't even want to live with y'all no more. I hate this. All right. It's not that he doesn't want to. He just understands it's not going to be a reality. Mm. And he seems to understand this immediately after he's threatened with Mm -hmm. a lynch mob by Curly's wife. Lenny. So time, a little time has passed, still the same day and everything, but a little time has passed. And Lenny is staring down at a dead pup. Oh, Lenny. He likes to pet nice things, oh, nice baby. soft things. He was playing with the pup. The pup pretended to bite him. So Lenny pretended to smack him and smacked all the scents out the pup until the pup was asleep forever. So now Lenny's like, George won't let me tend to the rabbits at the ranch. I'm very afraid. Why did you have to die, little pup? You're not even as small as a mouse. Why did you die? Why does everything I touch die? Mm-hmm. Lenny cries with frustration. Curly's wife comes in, comes around, and Lenny says he can't talk to her. She confesses her loneliness to Lenny, who seems like someone who's safe to talk to. She has no one to talk to, and it's no way to live. And she was supposed You know what? Even though she seems to understand that he... He has a disability is that she's still talking to him like he can comprehend where she's coming from, understand her plight. But maybe she just wants to talk because mm. Lenny isn't grasping everything Nothing she's saying. she's saying. So she was supposed to be in the movie, she says. Mm. No life like this. She doesn't even like Curly. He's not a nice man. She wants to wear nice clothes in the movies. She wants another life. After Lenny confesses how much he loves soft things, Curly's wife makes a confession of her own. Alexis, can you please tell us the confession that Curly's wife makes in this moment? 
when I'm doing my hair, sometimes I just sit and stroke it because it's so soft. To show how she did it, she ran her fingers over the top of her head. Some people got kind of coarse hair, she said complacently. Take Curly. His hair is just like wire, but mine is soft and fine. Of course, I brush it a lot. That makes it fine. Here, feel right here. She took Lenny's hand and put it on her head. Feel right around there and, and see how soft it is. Lenny's big fingers fell to stroking her hair. Don't you mess it up, she said. Lenny said, oh, that's nice. And he stroked harder. Oh, that's nice. Look out now, you'll mess it. And then she cried angrily. You stop it now. You'll mess it all up. She jerked her head sideways and Lenny's fingers closed on her hair and hung on. Let go, she cried. You let go. Lenny was in a panic. His face was contorted. She screamed then and Lenny's other hand closed over her mouth and nose. Please don't, he begged. Oh, please don't do that. George would be mad. She struggled violently under his hands. Her feet battered on the hay, and she wreathed to be free. And from under Lenny's hand came a muffled screaming. Lenny began to cry with fright. Oh, please don't, please don't do none of that, he begged. George gonna say I done a bad thing. He ain't gonna let me tend no rabbits. He moved his hand a little and her hoarse cry came out. Then Lenny grew angry. Now don't, he said. I don't want you to yell. You're going to get me in trouble just like George says you will. Now don't you do that. And she continued to struggle and her eyes were wild with terror. He shook her then and he was angry with her. Don't you go yelling, he said. And he shook her and her body flopped like a fish. And then she was still for Lenny had broken her neck. He looked down at her and carefully he removed his hand from over her mouth and she laid still. I don't want to hurt you, he said, but George would be mad if you yell. When she didn't answer nor move, he bent closely over her. He lifted her arm and let it drop. For a moment he seemed bewildered and then he whispered in fright, I done a bad thing. I've done another bad thing. Alexis, you scaring me. Okay, well, <laughs> that happened. Throughout the book, the setting, though, is described beautifully. And there are these parts that are very, that are filled with frustration in the characters, mirrored by the beauty around them. So after this death, I just want to read how the book describes the same. It was very quiet in the barn and the quiet of the afternoon was on the ranch. Even the clang of the pitched shoes, even the voices of the men in the game seemed to grow more quiet. The air in the barn was dusky in advance of the outside day. A pigeon flew in through the open window hay door and circled and flew out again. Halfway to the packing box where the puppies were, she caught the dead scent of Curly's wife and the hair rose along her spine. She whimpered and cringed to the pack packing box and jumped in among the puppies. Curly's wife lay with a half covering of yellow hay and the meanness and the planning and the discontent and the ache for attention were all gone from her face. Mm -hmm. So Candy is the first to find Curly's wife, mm -hmm. then George. Maybe they'll lock him up and be nice to him, George says, referring to Lenny. Can we still buy our place? Candy says, you and me, George. Candy drops his head. He knows it's all off. There will be no place for them. George thinks about his life now. Lenny never did anything bad out of meanness. Now George will spend the rest of his life living hand to fist with no one to look after him. George is scared the other men will think that he had something to do with Curly's wife's death. So he walks away planning to return and quote unquote discover the body with everyone else. After George leaves the room, Candy cries and curses Curly's wife. The men on the ranch find Curly's wife 
and they vow to shoot Lenny in the stomach. No one knows where Lenny is. The men join, but Slim turns to George. This mirrors the moment when Carlson um, took out Candy's dog. George, you come with us so we don't think you had anything to do with this. Curly cries out and George follows. We find Lenny waiting by the river, hiding as George told him to do. Then he has a hallucination about his aunt Clara and then a hallucination about a rabbit. As this is happening, George emerges from uh, the bush. And I want to read a section of this. The shadow in the valley was bluer and the evening came fast. On the wind, the sound of crashing in the brush came to them. Lenny said, tell how it's going to be. George had been listening to the distant sounds. For a moment, he was businesslike. Look across the river, Lenny. And I'll tell you so you can almost see it. Lenny turned his head and looked off across the pool and up the darkening slopes of the Gabalands. We're going to get a little place, George said. He reached in his side pocket and brought out Carlson's Luger. He snapped off the safety and the hand and gun lay on the ground behind Lenny's back. Oh, the gun was Carlson's. That's that gun no one thought he should have. Right. Not, not Curly's. Right. Okay. He looked at the back of Lenny's head, George did, at the place where the spine and skull were joined. A man's voice called from up the river and another man answered. Go on, said Lenny. George raised the gun and his hand shook and he dropped his hand to the ground again. Go on, said Lenny. How's it going to be? We going to get a little place? We'll have a cow, said George. And we'll have maybe a pig and chickens and down the flat we'll have a little piece alfalfa for the rabbits. Lenny shouted for the rabbits. George repeated. And I get to tend the rabbits. And you get to tend the rabbits. Lenny giggled with happiness. And live on the fat of the land. Yes. Lenny turned his head. No, Lenny, look down there across the river like you can almost see the place. Lenny obeyed. George looked down at the gun. There were crashing footsteps in the brush now. George turned and looked toward them. Go on, George. When we gonna do it? Gonna do it soon. Me and you, you and me. Everybody gonna be nice to you. Ain't gonna be no more trouble. Nobody gonna hurt nobody, no steal from them. Lenny said, I thought you was mad at me, George. No, said George. No, Lenny, I ain't mad. I ain't never been mad. And I ain't now. That's the thing I want you to know. The voices came close now. George raised the gun and listened to the voices. Lenny begged, let's do it now. Let's get that place now. Sure, right now. I gotta, we gotta. And George raised the gun and studied it. And he brought the muzzle of it close to the back of Lenny's head. The hand shook violently, but his face set and his hand steadied. He pulled the trigger. The crash of the shot rolled up the hills and rolled down again. Lenny jarred and then settled slowly forward to the sand and he lay without quivering. So that happened. Mm -hmm. George has killed Lenny. Now the conclusion. Slim twitches George's elbow and says, come on, George, me and you will get a drink. George let himself be helped to his feet. Yeah, drink. Slim said, you had a George, you had to do it. Come on with me. He led George into the entrance of the trail and up toward the highway and all the men staring and watching them walk away. And they're like, what's eating them fellas? <laughs> and that's the end. Yeah. You ready to take a break? Let's do it. All right. Alexis, what did you think of Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck? And would you recommend this book? Okay. First off, I really hate that we have to um, experience these books where they're just so derogatory towards um, Blacks. Okay. It's a time period. It was reality. Um, When was this book written again, Curry? Yeah, I'll get that for you. One second. 1937. Yeah, I hate that. I hate hearing it in the reading. And actually, I listened to it and I read it. Um, And the reading was by Gary Sinise. And he did an excellent job. Mm. And um, do you remember Gary Sinise? 
Mm-mm. He's from Forrest Gump. He was the oh. guy who lost his leg. If you remember oh, that okay, movie. Okay. In any event, I, I don't like that part for sure. I don't like that. Um, that is always very cringeworthy for me. But there are slurs in this book against blacks, uh, against black people, against Japanese people, against women. And those are just the ones I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a short book. And it's a short <laughs> book. And it's, it's quite um, a bit of them, too. It's too many. It's too many. One is too many. I'll say that. In any event, the story itself and the foreshadowing, I thought the foreshadowing was so excellent. The way they described it, the emotions of the characters were very real. And um, you could just really resonate how Candy was in bed and he is waiting for that shot. He doesn't want his dog to be shot, but he knows his dog is about to be shot. And his feelings that are ill that are not expressed in the book. Um, I really like how that was described. And then to see that exact same thing in the end with the murder um, of Lenny. The description of Crooks, that is the black man mm-hmm. in the book, of how he felt. Every was um, when Candy came into his room, he was like, Oh, you got a place to yourself. This is so nice. I mean, you got a really nice spot here. And he's like, yeah, it's really nice living um, with an open window next to all the manure. Yay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's like, but his feelings, the way his feelings were described and how, yeah, like Harry said, next to manure, I feel. And because he's made the most of his home, he's kept it clean. It's livable looking. Um, Candy's like, wow, you really living it up in here. And that just mirrors how the lowest of society sometimes do the best with what they have. And then people like, wow, y'all got everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? No lies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But his feeling about being alone and he was really alone um, and they didn't want him to be in their presence. Uh, in their quarters at all. But then the idea that they would be free to come over and it's just the way things are described in this book. Minus again, minus the um, harshness and the derogatory statements that are used. I I think I, I'm going to say it. I enjoyed this book. I think it was very well written. I like how short it is. I love a short book. I do indeed. Um, but there are some things in here. Um, yeah, I, I love the foreshadowing. I like how it's this book just really has some good parts in it that really stick to me. Um, and the reading about how what's the wife's name? Curly's wife. Does she even have a name? She don't have she a name. She don't have a name. <laughs> She's Curly's wife. She's Curly's wife. Mm-hmm. The way her death is described. Ugh. I don't know. I I really like this book. So I don't know that it needs to be recommended. I don't know that it needs to be the pick for schools anymore, because surely there's another way to talk about this time in which people lived where it doesn't have to have books that are so derogatory to other races or other people, period, in general. But that is the nature of the time in which we live. So I, I guess you really can't run from that. And that's not what I'm trying to to say. Just only the fact that it's um, maybe there's other books that can be used now. But I did enjoy the book. I'll say that. How about you, Kari? Would you recommend this book? I like all the points that you brought out. So it's a very uncomfortable thing to be a kid in sixth grade reading of Mice and Men in your classroom. I'm guessing. I don't know what age kids be. Oh, I was but you in there reading of Mice and Men and then um, the N-word keeps popping up and everyone's looking at you. And then maybe after class, some people say it to you and they're like, that's from the book. I'm just talking about the book, N-word. <laughs> you know, because kids, they're not that bright. Um, and a lot of adults. So uh, that is a situation I would like children to be able to avoid. Um, but as far as it not being in the book, what's the alternative that we take it out and we uh, whitewash this time period? We can't do people, that. 
No. And there are books where and some people may feel this about of mice and men where black people are described in a very one dimensional way, like a Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> and it's not fair. It's we are layered people. We are not all the same. And uh, some books will just take a black person or um, who did we read? That wasn't John Grisham, James <laughs> Peterson. Patterson. They'll be like the black person walked in. That's not helpful to anyone. Do you think so, this character, this black character was one dimensional? No. Oh, okay. So that's my point. All right. So this book is full of slurs that people would have used at the time. And the characters it's describing crooks, for example, you, you, I understood this man mm-hmm. and it even talks about his past. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, this is like during a time when people were uh, lynching, lynch mobs were formed to lynch um, black men. People knew what they were doing. They knew it was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they knew that sometimes women lied. They knew that sometimes people lied. And Curly's wife, her expression, I have it highlighted in the book, the way she said it and the way he wrote it implies that they knew exactly what they were doing. That's a, that's a lot. So I say all that to say I wouldn't change anything about this book. I don't think this is a book I would recommend for all classrooms. But the fact that this exists and it's dirty and it's gross and it is well written and parts of it are beautiful um, and that you can fit all this in in like, what, uh, 200 pages or something to me is masterful storytelling. Uh, You have foreshadowing here. You know these characters as soon as you meet them. You understand their motivations and they are all motivated by something. Um, I thought it was very well done. I also took a look over on Reddit, which is my habit now to see what other people thought of this book. Mm -hmm. And someone made a comment that I just have to read because I thought it was so insightful. Um, They say their their username was deleted. Maybe they're not on Reddit anymore. This is like seven years ago. Um, But they said this story demonstrates how sometimes in life there are no winning outcomes, even if you feel you're making morally good decisions. For example, George befriended Lenny despite Lenny's handicaps, which was the right thing for George to do from a moral standpoint. However, in doing so, um, this good deed looking after Lenny, George finds himself with a huge liability and risk since Lenny behaves unpredictably. And at the end of the book, due to Lenny's actions leading to the death of Curly's wife, George finds himself with no good options. Uh, George knows that he cannot have a peaceful life when Lenny is beside him. George also knows that Lenny will face a miserable life no matter what George decides to do. Um, the beauty of this book is really Steinbeck's ability to inf- to have us empathize with the killers. We empathize with Lenny Lenny and feel bad for him despite knowing he ended the life of a woman. And we empathize with George after he kills Lenny. Um, So I thought that was really insightful. Also, the title comes from a poem, uh, Ode to a Mouse by Robert Burns. And it's like the best laid schemes of mice and men gang after Agley. I don't know. That means you can plan and plan, but sometimes things just happen. In the end, I wouldn't change a thing about this book. It is gross and um, hurtful in some ways. And it's just it's so beautiful. <laughs> and um, I really, really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it'll be accepted. It, it won't be discussed properly in every school setting. So I would be very sensitive to uh, the concerns of students and parents in my um, classroom, in my school. Uh, before assigning this. But as an adult, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, that is the really the key. The conversation, the conversations around this book have to be rich and thoughtful and considerate. If you're just having lazy conversations or you're just doing it because this is what was done, then this that's it's not worth it because you won't mm-hmm. learn from this book. And one of the thoughts that I had about um, Candy is that he knew that he should have been the one to put his dog down, which is is why. why, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why George acted in the way that he did. He heard that reflection. And when he, he decided what needed to be done, he knew he could not allow those men to do, um, to bring Lenny's life to an end. He needed to be the one. So there's just so many little things within this book. Um, and it's just written in a way that just touches you emotionally. I don't know um, 
I don't know. I, I think it does. Just the writing is really um, so clear and clean in such a way um, that it describes the actions that are happening. And it, it talks about the feelings of others. And and that's wonderful when you can talk mm-hmm. about people's feelings in that way and give them so many layers that the reader feels it. And I, I really appreciate that. This book felt like something that was written by someone that wrote a hundred terrible books. Because <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> he probably did. You know, though. he probably did. He he um, sharpened his teeth, uh, cut his teeth. Anyway, right. the point is he tried, failed and kept trying. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is a masterful masterpiece. Uh, also, I felt. I was really messed up over the dog. <laughs> that scene really messed me up more than Lenny. Because mm. <laughs> the dog is innocent. And there's something in those final moments. The dog is going out with Carlson and he's afraid. No doubt. He doesn't know what's going on. And then his life ends. But with George and Lenny, George is um, feeding Lenny this story and trying to help him relax and be at peace before he ends his life. And Really, like, what was George supposed to do? Allow these men to lynch his friend? You know, it's a rock and a hard place. So mm-hmm. very well, very well. Car, what are we reading next week? Next week is our official season finale, although we will have more episodes after this. This is just our last book. And it's called Thicker Than Water by Carrie Washington. Ow! Hey, Carrie, call us back. We'd love to talk to you about your <laughs> memoir. Call us. Thank you for listening. Just email us back. Thank you. Let's make it happen. Oh, oh, oh! Is that my her? phone calling? Is that her? My phone calling her. <gasps> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> on your time, okay. you call us on yeah, your time. Yeah, yeah, not on our time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria. That's me. And Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. Oh, and you can leave a comment and and five stars on Spotify as well. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about List Society. Visit ListSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter and until next time readers read something read something